My name is Joseph Gallivan, and you're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is painter Eric Real. His show, Street, is on now at Laura Vincent Design and Gallery at 824 Northwest Davis Street through March the 2nd. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus, Eric. Hello, I'm Eric Real. So we're standing in front of you. You have a, a whole room full of abstract paintings. One of the biggest is called Origins. It's not stretched. It's sort of tacked to the wall. It's mostly white background. And then you have these floating shapes, circles, sort of commas, dashes in different colors. Um, and just tell us what the medium is first. Okay, this is on, as you say, on stretched canvas. Uh, Actually, originally when it was painted, it was stretched, and now it's being displayed in sun-stretched form. It's uh, acrylic medium, uh, liquid acrylics with soft pastels. Uh, Most of the marks are soft pastel, and that's where most of the color comes from, or the dusting off of them gives this sort of ghost, and then there's a sort of a more liquid form going through the top on the left, coming in with the... That's just paint... I use a lot of medium, a lot of clear medium, and I like liquid pass, uh, acrylics, so they're very, it's just like liquid color. Mm-hmm. And that liquid color and then the, the transparency lets all the light go down into the paint layer, so it looks like it's, oh, there's not much paint there, it's just light going down into it. Mm-hmm. So instead of reading like a flat, opaque surface, you get this sense of, oh, there's something spa- spatial going on there. Yeah. And uh, rhythmic. And that's why I refer to things as music, because the music, you kind of go into, like you think if you're listening to something really abstract, like uh, improvisational, like Miles Davis playing, you got these layers of music, and it's, and it's, it's, uh, you don't see a melody there, you see forms and marks, and so music and notes, and it's very active, not, it's not a static painting. Mm-hmm. Everything seems to be floating around like, you know, it's an aquarium, all these shapes are at different distances from us, depending on how kind of blurred they are or the size of them so there are ovals hyphen shapes and and kind of nascent letters you know like something that looks like a four but it's been distorted or there's a c there's a backward c um all of this is kind of floating on top of this white roughly painted looks like a wide brush um white painted background but there is this section of light green in the middle which is like a big patch um just tell us how how do you build up the layers like what do you start with for this i either will start with the color or um the pastel marks i could start either way at uh i often paint with both hands so i'm often working with a brush and a, something that's more like a bit of dry media in the other so i'm often making the marks and working with the brush at the same time or back and forth real quick. So there's no real set. I kind of approach each work kind of differently. So it's no real set way where I start like, oh, I'll make these marks and then put in paint. What I'm working with is like cognitive processes, how the brain processes stuff. So some of those brain processes actually take some time. So if you have to look at the work for a few minutes before your brain actually starts reprocessing it differently because some of these things are meant to process at different speeds and your brain has to sort of sync up before you actually see the painting as I intend it. Uh, but th- that's just sort of a technical thing because almost no one what, looks at a painting for two minutes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So what, why, when you say you use two hands at once, one is a brush and the other is the, the crayon? That may be it, or it may have something I often, you know, I take the old handles of old brushes and use a knife and make a marking stick to etch out or scratch out. So technically that's the graffiti regiment scratched out line. Now this particular painting has very little of that, or if it does, it's been sort of covered up by subsequent layers because there's like 30 plus layers on this painting. Mm -hmm. What's the value of layers that you can't see? Well, they influence what, how things look on top of them. They influence them because the light will bounce all the way through the paint layers and then come back out. You may not, your conscious mind not see a form there, but your, you, your eyes actually and brain process that. So it becomes part of, so it gives a sense of it's not a flat surface. There's a surface, and I'm into just totally a surface, but there's a way your, your eyes sort of psychologically, it creates a psychology of feeling like you can go into the painting, and there's openness in the painting. A sense of openness is, I think, is very important in this kind of painting because um, it allows the viewer to feel like they can come into the painting rather than just be put off. A lot of art is meant to sort of like hit you over the head, come at you. This work is more you come to it. So there's, that's more of a psychological thing. Mm-hmm. And that layering helps that. It make, your, your, your brain literally senses there's something in there. There's more in there. There's something underneath. Mm-hmm. The, it's a very big painting. and It's, it's about six by eight feet. Uh, and it's still got the marks, like the grooves where it's been rolled up. You know, it's just hanging off the wall, sort of, a, it's forward off the wall a little. But then when you move over to your other work, they're all stretched. They're very tight looking. And then you, you still get this um, this depth, you know, this feeling of going, everything being at different distances from you. Is that... Is, am I right in thinking it looks different because it's stretched? I think it's more the way it's painted. Uh, they, I don't think they read that much. Well, it's important they have to be vertical um, because we actually orient shapes and process them in terms of gravity. So the factor on the wall is important. Um, how tight it is also, it, I think some of the unstretched, some of the more just, you don't have any of that distraction of the, of the being conscious of the painting, the paint, I mean the canvas. But this painting we're looking at, it's writing on the wall, is it's about 44 by 34 inches, and it has, it's almost like when you, we used to do writing exercises to get a rhythm, Psychometry mm-hmm. did that, and so it has that kind of thing going on the top, and mm-hmm. it has more, and it had, this one actually does have the scratching in where this, the work scratched in. Yeah. And, and so it's like, has what you really call graffiti, that's the original meaning of graffiti, means scratched line so this has a lot of that and the, so the the kind of lettering or the writing it's like a series of m's or fish scales that's at the top half mm-hmm. of the work or overlapping each other on a a colored background so you're using orange red and black and green crayon or pastel to make these shapes but the background is these reddish orange paint marks and then the set, the bottom half of the same piece is sort of pinkish very you know almost white and the mark making down there is different there's less of it and there's more scratchy where you're removing paint with a stick rather than 
applying. Yeah, I'm scratching color. into it. And there's quite a few layers of paint on this. There's a lot of layers, and there's probably about 50 on this one. So I'm scratching through from one layer to the other. And then often there's also graphite marks sort of floating on top. Mm -hmm. So working with how the brain or the speed it processes things and it creates sort of a psychological space. So the viewer, if they sit with it for a while, you should become somewhat aware of how their own mind works, you know, reconstructs what's going on there. And there's no reference to anything in the real world. That's very important to not make a reference to language or anything your, your brain can label with a language like a chair or a table. Because what that does is keeps your brain from processing it in your language center. And if you do that, it allows other parts of the brain to turn on. And I feel when you have work that doesn't have anything that hooks into the language center, it creates a cognitive crisis where the brain... Now, some people that experience that as very uncomfortable, and some people think it, they, they experience it as very positive. It's totally an individual thing. And it may have to do with how people respond to works that don't have anything that they can name in it. But it does force your brain to process it literally in different parts of the brain. This work is very warm. You know, one of the things when I first started painting as a young painter is... A lot of the abstraction I've seen. This is the era, you know, I went to school in the 70s, so there's a lot of, you know, just, you know Stella or Lee Kelly. So very hard edge and stuff. A lot of abstractions you'd see was very cold, very, just emotionally just leaves you, like, with nothing. Mm -hmm. And I always want painting to involve, engage people's emotions. Mm -hmm. So this, and the color helps with that because we, I don't use color symbolically or anything, but color, we, our emotions still respond to it in some way. And there's a little bit of personal variation or even cultural because someone really believes that red is like all about anger and stuff. That's going to, that's going to influence how they see the word, mm -hmm. the color red. Um, and the Wittgenstein does a whole thing with red about, oh, there's other things going on there. But this really is get an emotional mm -hmm. uh, engagement with the work. Get other parts of you going. Do you do you have a color palette when you start a work? Do you say I'm only going to use these colors? I usually don't limit it that way. I used to teach color theory, and so I went into all the contrasts, and so I have a lot of certain color palettes I prefer to work with um, because I get uh, I want to get a certain amount of I like a lot of complementary contrast which may not mean anything to a lot of the listeners yeah, what does that complementary contrast <laughs> so that's like if you ha if you have a color continuum which is sort of like a circle it's colors that since you in some way are opposite each other they if you looked at one for a while and you looked at a white stared with your eyes and then looked at a white piece of paper or something you would see the complementary color so it's, oh. so in some way and if you have colors like that next to each other, they all see, they, you read them differently. Uh, so I, but, but I start just working with a couple of colors and then I go on from there. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, a lot of them worked with a very restricted palette. There's, just, there's a couple in here only have, well, one sort of color and it's sort of modulated. So there's not like a lot of color in them. If, if the big piece we first talked about, Origins, had, had a soundtrack playing, what would it be, and then what would writing on the wall have? Well, if there was a soundtrack, the one I really associate with Origins would be Miles Davis running the voodoo down, which is on his Bitches Brew album. Um, and I actually was able to see Miles Davis. He played in Seattle at a concert that was not actually listed on his normal concert listing, but he played with his Bitches Brew crew in the Seattle Jazz Festival. 
in, I think, 1971. So I always partially that kind of music. It seems very connected to how this painting works. You see, he lay, lay down a bass line and some, and some rhythm section, and he just always come over the top of it with his, his, his horn and be just real sparse and just fade out and then come back in blasting. And that's sort of how these marks worked. I mean, it seems like if you get a musical form of that, mm-hmm. it'd be something like that. And, and you know, there's no lyrics, there's no singing. There's just, this is really totally improvisational. And it's improvisational. All this work we should say in here is improvisational. It's totally improvised. There's no pre-planning. There's no pre-drawings. It starts on the canvas or the paper, and it's just totally improvised from there out. And no pre-planning. There's no set starting point. Mm-hmm. In fact, I do a lot of things to sort of blank myself out to, to try to be come to it as blank as possible. My name is Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is painter Eric Reel. His show Street is on now at Laura Vincent Design and Gallery in the Pearl through March 2nd. So the uh, postcard image is a big yellow painting called Blood. Um, and it's, it's similar in that there are lots of marks floating on a changing colored background but there are more different types of mark that could be close to letters and numbers but they're all very distorted um, and there's a, just a ton of color in this there's a red circle it looks like it was done with a lipstick it's a very rough circle um, you've got these three dashes like um, like the number Roman numeral three in black right at the bottom on the yellow background. Um, but why is it called blood? Well, originally, this, the starting point for this one, this is one actually had a more specific starting point than a lot of the paintings. What's underneath it is a map of North America, the Caribbean, part of the Caribbean, and the Atlantic, sort of the part of the Atlantic and the Caribbean that produces hurricanes. And it was a weather map, too, so it had weather symbols on it. So originally, when I had it, it had these like weather symbols, and they sort of I sort of took them away from something because I didn't want the literal meanings, you know, us to read them like that. And since it was sort of based on that, well, blood, that part of the world's produced a lot of blood. A lot, we've, we've spilled a lot of blood. This, this is... A, the southeast of the U.S.? Yeah, well, the United States. This is the colonies up here. Here's Canada. Here's Hudson Bay. Oh, so you can still see some of the map. You can see a little bit. Yeah, here's the Florida. The blue bit is Florida. Here's the coast. Here's the Caribbean. Here's the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Here's a hurricane coming in, kind of high, but I don't know, or a storm. Mm-hmm. So it still has some of the remnants of the original one. Most of them don't have any sort of local So that's the Oh, and that's just snow. There's no violence in there. So I, I felt there's a little bit of a violence aspect to it in, in terms of this emotional timber. But uh, so blood kind of refers to that. I'm, I use reuse titles. I, titles are sometimes hard because I'm, I'm trying to disrupt 
the linguistic part of the brain and not use language. Mm -hmm. So then, oh, then you come back to have a title. Okay, what's... <laughs> Did you have an untitled phase? Well, I, there's an opus number, so usually I just put the... the when I release something from the studio, studio, I give it an opus number. So I usually just use the opus number. And that's how, actually how creators and other people refer to them. Oh, yeah, I want your 1890... I'm not talking about a date. I should pick a date. You know, 2303. Mm -hmm. You want the opus number. That's how we refer to the work. Because they reuse the titles. It's the only sane way we can keep track of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it always has that number as a title. You know, like music. You know, Mozart did all these things. Some things, yeah, those are, there's just something, another symphony. But a lot of times it's just opus K, you know, 941 or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's a very convenient way to look at this kind of work. How does the, the name of the whole show, Street, how does that function? The painting we were just talking about, writing on the wall, is probably a good example of that because there's things that are actually graffiti-like. Now, there are a lot of graffiti artists that follow my work, and I didn't know that until one told me, so, oh, yeah, a lot of us are following your work. And you actually do real graffiti. You actually do scratch lines where, you know, we're doing spray paint. So there's a lot of street interaction. And in fact, in my studio, I see a really good kind of an all-city wall across the train tracks uh, in Portland. And Portland has really good graffiti. But, so I thought, you know, especially in Portland, a Portland show, uh, this work does, there's a closeness to the street or street art. And, uh, but it's not. I've taken it somewhere else. But there's always a connection there. And also that's sort of a, I think Portland has really good um, graffiti in it. I mean, there's some really good street artists here, too. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, this sort of not quite a footnote to them or mm -hmm. um, giving them some credit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I thought it was a real appropriate show for this show. And it's also up for a period of 10 years when that kind of work kind of came in because for that, before the decade that this show sort of represents, my work had almost no connection to street or anything on the street or anything in the, on that level of the culture. And then at a certain point when I started taking the figurative stuff out and the studio stuff out, uh, not the non-references to tables and things like that, and said we're not going to work out a language. Then, and also that's an era where a lot of, you know, in hip, a lot of stuff became much more prevalent and the culture more centered. So all this stuff was sort of influenced me in my studio. So there's there's definitely a street influence, mm -hmm. but I'm not really a street artist or anything. Mm -hmm. so you don't go out there with your backpack. No. And your cams. No, I don't do. It. And you notice that's one almost the one medium I don't use. I use. I work with rubbing the work with my hands, which usually glove, and, and then brushes, things to mark into it, drawn stuff, any kind of drawing medium. But the one thing I don't do, I don't do any uh, spray. Mm -hmm. I don't do any atomized pigment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what the Gronk, the graffiti artist is talking to me. He says, well, yeah, we realize you just, that's the one thing you don't do. We do so that's where complementary just a media mm -hmm. difference. We still see the mentality. We see what you're doing. It has some similarity because you're still working with marking. You're marking your environment. Marking the environment. So really, I think that's a very. If you read some of my statements, especially online and stuff, you see uh, I've always been about marking. Marking is a primal human experience of human consciousness. Mm -hmm. Human beings, you know, the archaeological record. As soon as Homo sapiens came in, eventually everything's marked. They cut into everything. They, we marked the environment, and we've just been doing it ever since. Mm -hmm. So the idea that somehow that's destructive seems very strange to me because human beings always want to mark everything. Mm -hmm. Mark is a major part. It doesn't even have to be language. We were doing it for hundreds of thousands of years before we had written language. So, 
do, do you ever talk to graffiti artists about why their work's so hard to read, like the tags are just slightly unreadable? I don't know if I have to talk about that. I like what they're doing. I understand. I understand what, uh, you know, post Wilds, well, you know, Wild Style, that's kind of, that's one of the versions that you're talking about. But Scribble Scrabble, same way. It's, I mean, even the name for it, Scribble Scrabble, is very... Uh, what is that? That's where it's just line and the early marking, gang marking, or graffiti marking, Scribble Scrabble. That's one form. And there's styles within those. That there's things like Eon and... And that go with certain people mm-hmm. doing it. And wild style is when it just, wild style means you've taken it so you can't read the letters very easily. Though some can, but it's, it's just like with the, they did that in this, in the, uh, the Muslims do that in their mosques. You know, they take, there is, you know, the, these mosques will be the Quran, but it's, it, it looks like just beautiful geometric designs. So human beings have been doing that. Because it, it's not really about language readability, it's about, Visual readability, if that makes any sense. Visual marking, your marking environment. It's more about claiming that environment in some way or mastery of it. So you do it like a mosque. That's the way of claiming, you know, that there's the Koran's going to... But on the street, you're claiming the street. Gangs, it's real simple. It's just like territory. But the real writers, you know, the graffiti, people make the graffiti the writers. It's even strange we call them writers because they're, you can't often read it. But it's, it's, they're claiming... They're claiming something other than just a territory. They're claiming a cultural and social territory. But I should really should, you probably should interview the graffiti artists. There's some really good ones here, so they can talk about it better. They know it. I, it's not really my place to tell you what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, I read that you were always a big fan of Cy Twombly, and he kind of represents sort of the most difficult to understand abstract art that I think. Because a lot of it just looks like scribble, and that's people just give up at that point. So, to, tell us what attracted you to Twombly, and then why you you do kind okay. of incorporate some of his style, I think. Yeah, and uh, that's only because I was, had a lot of Black Mountain influence. I talked about that earlier. The um, at the University of Washington, Jacob Lawrence and uh, Jones, Bob, Robert. I guess we should call him Robert. We always call him Bob. Bob Jones and they came from Black Mountain, and I have Bajas, and ba- Black Mountain's just a Bajas thing that comes into the United States. Twombly's probably the best-known visual artist that came out of Black Mountain, and he's making mark-making. So that's kind of where there's a similarity. And I was heavily impressed. I, the first show of his I saw in New York, what, 77, and he just took over an open space, a banking space, and it's just all his stuff. It's just white paint like latex paint for house paint and graphite pencils. That's all it was. I just love it. It was a beautiful show. That, that sort of influenced me. But it sort of stops there because he's trying to do narratives. I don't do, I'm anti-narrative. He's working with different media, different sense of scale. Um, so there are a lot of differences that were, in some ways were antithetical because I really am anti-narrative, anti-language. He's totally in the narrative. There's historical narratives connected with his work. Yeah, we could go a whole discussion mm-hmm. on Twombly. So you do have um, narrative work. This uh, large piece... This one? Yeah, Pulse. So, okay. the, so you have a large piece. Um, it's kind of a peach colour, unstretched. Uh, again, it's, it's actually got... actually the colour of dried blood. Okay, and it's called Pulse. It's, peach, yeah. so it's Pulse. It was... Uh, the starting point here was the Pulse nightclub shootings in Orlando. 
I was very moved by them, and a lot of people I knew were, um, that was a very horrific event, and were affected, and, and so I sort of got into listening to stuff, and one of the people that survived it, he was in a restroom, and the killer actually came in several times, didn't find them, but several, most of the people in the story was bled to death during the time before they were rescued. And he was talking about the thing he couldn't get out of his mind was the smell of blood. So I originally was planning a painting that was just going to be really dark. It was all black and just dark. And I thought, you know, wait a minute. That event was originally a bunch of people. It was actually a special night where people were supposed to be celebrating their diversity, their identity. It's all about self-affirmation. And there's a celebratory thing. And then this horrific thing happens with the shooting. And I said, well, it would really be better if we claimed. And I was talking to one of my, I knew someone who actually lost someone in that thing. And he said, you know, it'd be really better to claim the thing because this guy sort of took over that event. And so these, you know, they, and they get the attention in the media and that just encouraged them. I said, we really need to reclaim the original thing. This is about the celebration. So I realized I need to do a more celebratory painting, but I wanted some reference back to it. And what I couldn't get out of this guy talking, I couldn't get the smell of blood out of his nose. And I, if you're in a situation, sometimes we do, it is really hard to get the smell of blood out of your and it just, just doesn't go away. It's really kind of this odd thing. So I tested from my own blood on the canvas what color that was, and so I matched it. And then I used it, it's modulated a little bit more with a little bit more yellow, just to make it a little bit more intense a color, because mm. usually if blood dries long enough, it just fades out. It just becomes a very dull color. So I, I want it more vibrant. So I picked it up a little bit in terms mm-hmm. of intensity. But it's basically based on the color of blood. So the whole thing's like a field of blood, and it's pulse. But pulse, that's even the name of the nightclub. It's, pulse is also blood, it's, but it's pulsing through it. It's live. It's like alive with you know, the music or the, the thing. That is, it's, it's the life-affirming aspect, which is what the event originally was about. Mm-hmm. So it sort of transformed. And then I was writing about this process. I usually don't share the process of how I'm painting, but I did do it online. At that time, I had a blog. And then we previewed it as sort of a, a preview thing with some other paintings at my studio. And it got a really incredible... Uh, reception, people came and they're just very moved. I mean, there was people with tear, you know, they, they were very moved that there was a piece like this commemorating that event. And mm-hmm. It was still close enough to the event that it was still seemed fresh to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So th- that's... So when you had a narrative, what, what, when you have a narrative, how do you decide what shape these marks, these circles and dashes, are they going to have some kind of reference to what happened? Well, I originally planned one like that, but I realized I needed to make more of a, a space where you feel like it's moving and celebratory and dancing. And, and there are some, um, some of my symbols do have references. And that's an interesting thing. This is sort of not with this one, but um, sometimes I'll do something that has some things in it that symbolically that the owner will know about and I will know about, but no one else does. So there's a personal thing. Or there's sexual references in them. Um, but it's amazing people don't see those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is the only one with spray of like white paint, sort of randomly. There is it. a there is a splatter of white across it. Uh, well, it's off white, just slightly off white across it. Um, mm, probably shouldn't say that one on the radio. It has a sexual reference. Mm-hmm. So. Was it difficult to make this painting? Like you're feeling things based on things you read in It was the quite a thing because when I started it, and that's also the reason why the first shot 
with the dark stuff. It was hard for me to do that because the, the, the emotional thing just seemed almost, I feel like frozen, I couldn't paint. But once I got to the celebratory idea, then oh yeah, I can, I can put paint on there. And it's, there's a lot of layers, this, this blood level thing, it's really layered like, as if there are multiple, so you see in here, it's dried underneath and then on top, so you, so you see that it's not just one shot. Mm -hmm. There's layers and layers, which mm -hmm. is on one level the negative is it's like this kind of thing you see people bleeding to death so the blood's on the floor and then they get another layer of blood that dries and there's another layer of blood so there's that kind of horrific aspect, but the celebratory too it gives a sense of depth so that's that usually cues into a more celebratory psychology. My name is Joseph Gallivan. You've been listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week was painter Eric Real. His show, Street, is on now at Laura Vincent Design and Gallery, 824 Northwest Davis Street, through March 2nd. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus at such short notice, Eric. Thank you very much for having me.